Welcome to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. I'm Josh Elledge, founder and CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. We turn entrepreneurs into media celebrities, grow their authority, and help them build partnerships with top influencers. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around to the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspiration podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Paul Quatracasis. And Paul, you are the author of Go Tech or Go Extinct, and you're the founder and CEO of Aqua Partners. And that's A-Q-U-E. AA two A's because you know we're tech. So <laughs> that's, uh, again, Aqua Partners with two A's, part, aquapartners.com. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me. So you're a Yank that found himself back over in London. And so could, what, what uh, precipitated that decision? That was a while ago. It was, was, why, because, it was quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, was, uh, you mentioned that you 29 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was working in New York. And we had what I called kind of the first credit crisis back in, uh, gosh, this was 1989, 1990, 91. And uh, in 1990, uh, we basically, uh, I was working at G Capital in New York and the Leverage Buyout Group, and we saw prices getting too high, and uh, there, were, there were some issues there in the portfolio, and so they had a round of redundancies locally. I made that, but um, mm-hmm. had an offer to come to London. I thought it was a good time. And I thought it would be about for a year, six months to a year, but it's ended up being 29, 29 years and counting. Wow. So yeah. you haven't lost your American accent? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But I've made this <laughs> happen. You survived <laughs> this long without adopting survived a posh accent. So good on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, you know, if, so interesting trivia. Maybe you know the answer to this. When did the Americans lose their British accent? Good question. But I can tell you that if there's a, a Brit or a Kiwi or a South African, for example, that go to the U.S., they tend to lose their accent pretty quickly. Wow. But it doesn't work the other way around. And I think it's just because the American accent is actually quite a lazy accent. So uh, it's easy to acquire, uh, mm-hmm. not so easy to lose. So... Yeah, that's the best now, I can do. I'm afraid this will this might blow your mind. And I, I you know, and so I, I, I googled this some time ago, and I read a very lengthy article on it. So the Americans actually never lost a British accent. It was the Brits who adopted a posh accent in the early 1900s. So we're actually speaking the kind of the original English dialect. Well, if that's and, true, I'm embarrassed. I don't know that. <laughs> I, I, I never knew that. It's, yeah. it's like, honestly, it's like, you know, when someone says share an amazing fact, that's always mm-hmm. the one that I share. And uh, so what happened is the early, in the early 1900s, everyone in England started adopting this, you know, this kind of, you know, poshy kind of, well, we're going to talk, you know, much more formal because we want to appear sophisticated. Uh, mm. And it was interesting because the port towns just prior to the Industrial Revolution really started adopting this as well in the United States. So Boston, New York, and, um, you know, and so when you think of a traditional Boston or New York accent, that's actually kind of a holdover from this, like where everybody was supposed to adopt this posh accent. You know, of course it went 
completely left for Boston and New York in terms of you think of a traditional Boston, New York accent. Uh, but yeah, it's the Queen's English is completely made up as of, you know, uh, just over 100 years ago. That, that, that's fascinating. I'll have to check it now with my English wife. Uh, yeah, right, right. Okay, so she will be the authority. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think it was That's one it. of those mental floss uh, yeah. is where where I found the story on it, and it, and it maybe, maybe the British, maybe over here, they've tried to erase that from history. Maybe that's what it I is. think so. I think so. And when you tell a Brit, they're they're aw- yeah. they're awfully offended because uh, mm-hmm. it's the Americans who have bastardized the Queen's English, of course. <laughs> uh, so, Paul, ex- explain what you do uh, over in London. So, so I run a firm uh, that helps large non-tech companies, legacy established companies to acquire uh, and invest in the right tech companies to be able to become more tech enabled, to avoid disruption and to accelerate their own value, which, which I think given the recent uh, coronavirus crisis and so on, it's become more and more important than ever. So no uh, kidding. quite busy at the moment, actually. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I see the world is having fast forwarded uh, through this. I think a lot mm-hmm. of things that were inevitable are now not just, in, I mean, they, they are essential today. And it's time to adapt or die. You know, just Even, like, you know, again, you know, you're, you know, boy, that's the subtext for your, uh, for your book. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, even things like meat, where you wouldn't normally think about uh, meat not being available in your supermarket, for example, at normal prices. But this crisis has cut through the meat processing factories. You've probably read about it, and, and people are struggling to uh, keep the plants open and so on. So now meat's becoming more difficult to find. Mm. Prices are going up. And the fact is that that plant-based protein meat uh, has been under development for many years. And you may have seen in the market a company called Beyond Meat did an IPO last year. Yep. Uh, it's currently worth about 7 or $8 billion dollars. There are other companies like Impossible Foods that are doing it. And there's also, and this is what most people aren't so aware of, lab meat or culture-based meat companies, Mm -hmm. which are growing meat that is perfectly clean uh, from a single cell of a cow, for example, or a pig or a sheep or fish. And I really think that is going to be the way forward. I thought that beforehand, and I referred to it it in my book. But um, I think now people are realizing that actually there, there are problems with the current supply chain and with meat and just an yeah, example yeah. of the kind of things that will, that will happen. Yeah. Growing a cow is, is pretty inefficient. Uh, you know, we've, we've certainly I mean, over the past hundred years, I mean, we've, you know, really, you know, with the factory farming, I mean, we've made some improvements on that, but you know, along comes technology. And so I guess Paul, the, you know, the issue is why do legacy companies have a difficult time, or not a difficult time, but why do small, nimble tech startups have a way of innovating that maybe legacy companies just aren't able to? It's just, it's such a great question. I mean, that is that is the question. And through all of our work and our research that started about three or four years ago with the large non-tech companies, and through all of the meetings and the work and the, uh, the one-on-one sessions we've had now with senior executives at over 400 companies, I've concluded that is that is the one thing which is which is mindset, which is the uh, the lack of believing that it's possible, whether that's cultural or it's something that is developed in the company's DNA. That we're not a tech company. I was just reading today. I won't name names. The CEO of a large European company was quoted in Fortune magazine by saying, "Just said we're not a tech company." And so it starts with that. You know, mm. if you believe you're not a tech company, you're not going to be, and that trickles down throughout the entire organization. It starts to develop its own belief system. Whereas companies like Walmart 
or GM or Prudential Financial in the U.S., they, they haven't said that. They said, we are going to do what it takes to lead and to remain a leader despite the, the attacks from, in this case, Amazon or Tesla, that we're all, we've always been a leader in this industry. We're going to continue to be a leader. We'll do whatever it takes. And it looks like the center of gravity and the puck is moving to tech, and I could talk about it all day long. That's what we have to do. And so that really is, that's the answer. It's, it starts with mindset, with belief, and, a, and making a decision to do it. Uh, do you think that for a legacy company, it's better for them to create this, you know, like a skunk works division where they can, you know, they can innovate? Or is it best to just kind of watch what's going on in the market, let the free market, you know, kind of decide, you know, who's doing really great stuff and then, you know, pay the bigger price to, to pay for winners, basically? It's a great question. And the answer is every company is different, just like every person is different. You know, we all, we all have our own DNA. So does every company have its own DNA. And uh, it really is different. So some companies, depending on the size or the industry or their growth stage, might decide to set up an incubator and make small investments or contributions to companies that are small and emerging so that they can learn and develop skills and talents. But other companies might say, look, we need to move the needle fast, like Walmart did with acquiring Jet.com in 2016. We've got to move the needle fast. Things are changing faster than we thought, and we need to make a big move. And if they do it right, the big move that they make doesn't have to be as risky as most companies think that it is. I mean, it's sometimes a simple uh, question of they add one plus one and they think it's two. It's, well, you know, we're not Google, so we can't do this. But the companies that said, no, we can um, and are, are willing and able to make the big move, that's the right move for them. Um, so it really does depend. It, it, in the end, I, I, I want to say that in our research, what we have found quite clearly is that the leading companies, the ones who are truly increasing stakeholder value, are the ones that have done all three key things. So one, they are innovating organically with their own people. They're, they're recruiting good people. They've got centers of excellence uh, doing their own innovation, R&D, et cetera. They're also investing in and set, investing in tech companies and setting up incubators and accelerators. So they're doing this small company uh, investment where they need to. And they're also acquiring, so taking full control of selected digital tech software companies. Mm-hmm. They're doing all three of those things holistically, essentially, to become either a tech company or to become technology enabled. So, you know, if I am a tech, so we're a tech company. So, I mean, and that's kind of how I see we're, we're a tech company first and we use, you know, again, you know, our, our, one of our missions is to challenge the status quo with everything that we do. And if the market is asking for something and, you know, traditional PR, for example, would say, oh, well, we can't do that, or we can't guarantee results, or no, you have to have a 12-month contract to work with us, you know, it's like, you know, that's ridiculous. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I re- so I created this as a consumer saying, why doesn't this exist? I need this. I need something that's much more user-friendly to use. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to just pay for introductions. I want to pay for results. And so that was been our, that's been our approach. So, so we see ourselves as a tech company. And so to my fellow kind of tech company owners, what should they be thinking about in terms of, yeah, I'm going to create this disruptive technology and I'm totally open to an exit at some point down the road. 
because we're going to keep doing what the old dinosaurs refused to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Any considerations that those tech companies should keep in mind just in terms of, you know, if they're like, you know, they're open to that opportunity down the road? Yeah. Again, great question. So we, we have been advising tech company entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders for, well, certainly I have for 28, 29 years now, mm -hmm. every single day on exactly these, these topics. And it's what gave us our own experience and confidence and accumulated understanding before we were confident enough to go to the large non-tech companies and talk about all this. So my advice to them, to them today is to keep on doing what they are doing. So to, to maintain that spirit, that vision, that passion of what being an entrepreneur is all about and believe that you can do it. So the mindset applies equally to an entrepreneur, of course. In fact, it's very hard to set up a company and have any kind of mission without really having that, that right mindset. So that's number one. And then I'd say, while you may feel that you're disruptive and you want to disrupt, that's always the temptation for an entrepreneur is that I'm going to yeah. just disrupt this. I'm a disruptor. I'm going <laughs> to be the, the champion and the hero. And, and certainly that that's important. Right? But at the same time, the most successful tech companies in my experience have found a way to work with the existing ecosystem, to work with the existing uh, larger established companies all along the value chain or in different parts of the ecosystem um, in fact, Amazon did that, and many people don't know that Amazon actually partnered with Borders. Borders Bookstore, you may remember if you lived long enough, was, was one of the major two bookstores, booksellers, along with Barnes & Noble. And as Borders was realizing the world was moving to e-commerce, they thought, well, it's better to partner with this new e-commerce company, Amazon, rather than try and do it ourselves. And they partnered for, I don't know, five or six years uh, before Borders said, okay, we got it now. Okay, that's fine. You can... You know, you can go Amazon. We're going to do it on our own. Mm -hmm. And I think four years after that, Borders was bankrupt. And we wow. know where Amazon is today. So tech companies like, like an Amazon, uh, they were smart. They acquired other smaller companies along the way as a very entrepreneurial mindset, Jeff Bezos and his team. But they also partnered with some of the larger players. And so I think you can do both. I think you can have the mindset of disruption, not expecting it to happen overnight. It's going to take years. But there's nothing wrong with that. That's why you become an entrepreneur. You want to build something over the long term. So as you're building that with that disruptive mindset, you know, where you're giving a better experience to customers, that's what it's about at the end of the day, right? It's that's what an entrepreneur does is give a great experience to customers. But while yeah. you're doing that, think also, how can you be attractive to an existing player who has access to thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of customers and offer them something that they don't have, but that would really be valuable for them? And then yeah. you, you cut a deal and that that can very often be, you know, a, a key breakthrough for the growth of, of an entrepreneurial company. Mm. You know, I, I think, again, you know, just, you know, the, the, the importance of continuing to innovate and being open, not just to, uh, you know, the fact that we can let our own egos get in our way. And, you know, I was just talking with someone who, you know, they had a SaaS platform and they put it out on Product Hunt and they put it out on mm -hmm. AppSumo. And he said, you know, we don't do it because, you know, we're going to make a lot of money off those sales, you know, directly from that. But one thing we get is a lot of feedback. And yeah. sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to hear. But if you're not, you know, it, it, you know, so if you're a legacy company, and you think that, well, we could just rest on our laurels and because we own, you know, 80% of the market, you know, yeah. I'm sure that we could look at history oh, yeah. and see other, uh, yeah. other providers that owned a big share of the market that no longer own a big share of the market. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So, um, 
look, all these things take time and things change. They change all that and they're changing faster than they ever have. So one thing we talk a lot about is we, we say that today's business world is business as exponential. It's not business as usual. It's business as exponential because every industry now is being infiltrated by tech companies. So you, you, you hear about fintech, right? Financial tech, health mm-hmm. tech, med tech, travel tech, you know, take any industry, put tech at the end of it, you'll probably find thousands of companies. And that's really what's happening here is that every industry is being infiltrated by tech because every industry is changing exponentially fast, some faster than others, but they're all moving in that direction again, now more than ever, given this recent disruption we've had. So it's, it's, a, it's a question for entrepreneurs to constantly monitor how things are changing and shifting in the landscape, to, to always be in front, not behind, and to be able to anticipate okay, we, we assumed that this was the case six months ago or a year ago when we, we did our plan, but things have shifted. And now we've got we've to do some scenario planning because there's been a big shift. There's been a new competitor who's entered or there's been you know, some new regulation or whatever it might be, but you've got to be ready for everything. And it's one thing I tell all, well, I certainly have been saying this quite frequently over the last five or six years to all entrepreneurs and tech companies, have a plan B, you know, always have a plan yeah. B. And mainly the reason to have a plan B in the past has been for the next market crash. And we could be looking at that now. Time will tell how much worse this gets. But having a plan B where you you know what you have to do so you don't get emotional about it and you just do it can be a real advantage because you can move more quickly when you have that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, personality-wise, I tend to be a, you know, pretty glass house kind of company. Like, I, I don't mind, you know, pushing for things that I think are important in the market. Um, And I know one thing that you'd urge tech companies to do is make alliances, make friendships with the larger companies and and, and try to be helpful. Um, One concern that someone might have is I say, well, listen, what happens if I give them all my ideas? They just Mm -hmm. say, heck with those guys. We'll just... Thanks for the thanks for the great ideas. We'll go ahead and do it ourselves. Does that happen often? Is that a concern? Is there, you know, if you're a tech company, should you protect yourself in that regard? Or how yes. do you answer it, that concern? It, yes, it, it, it can happen. Um, it can happen. So again, every company, every situation is different. It probably depends on who the counterparty is. So who is a large company? How you've got to be able to, to, to you know sniff them out to a certain extent. How realistic is it that they're going to actually execute? on your ideas? Some mm-hmm. companies will, absolutely will. Uh, if they have been looking at your particular you know, industry area or niche for a long, long time, and you know they've invested money in it, they, there's a good chance they could take advantage of your intellectual property or your skills, know-how, or ideas. But if they haven't and they're just fishing around, then you've got to make a judgment call. And this is assuming that whatever NDAs you sign may not be enforceable and you're going to be the small guy anyway. So you just have to make a judgment call. And you know, if you believe that they're they're genuinely trying to learn and figure things out, but they're not strong enough from an execution point of view to actually take your idea and launch it, um, or at least not be able to go faster than you, then you can probably be a bit more open. I mean, I, I'm reminded uh, of the story I just read yesterday or today about Okado, which in the UK is, is, is now one of the most valuable supermarket operators, even though it's one of the smallest because it's essentially a technology company. Wow. And they were founded 20 years ago. They did an IPO uh, on the London Stock Exchange 10 years ago for about a $1.2 billion. Today, it's worth 12 billion pounds um, or $16 billion. So they've really, really grown in value terms. But the CTO was saying in the early days, they had a lot of approaches from larger supermarket operators. And they were questioning, do we share 
our ideas on this. And, and in the early days, they were much more secretive. They didn't really want to share because they had developed something special, unique, different that nobody else had developed. And they had spent years and years and huge amounts of money mm. uh, incurring losses for years in developing that intellectual property. And they just, as you can imagine, wanted to protect it. But then they, as many companies do along, along this journey, realized that actually it's an opportunity for us to be able to partner with these supermarkets because they're not going to be able to do what we do. They, 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 they can't overnight or in a year or two mm. develop what we've done over 10 years. And they don't have the team. They don't have the know-how. Highly unlikely. So we might as well license our technology to them, which is what, what they've done very successfully. Do you think from a trend perspective that economies or businesses have become more cooperative? So, you know, I'm kind of a partner at all costs kind of guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just assume stay in my lane and do my lane better than anybody or anything else in the world. I mean, continue to improve what I do. Uh, but do you think that people are, I, I guess, you know, I, it seems to me like 10 years ago, and it could have just been my environment, but I, I felt like people were a lot more protective and not as collaborative. Maybe this, again, I'm just only talking about my own perception, but I wonder if there's been any trends in, you know, openness or collaboration or kind of open sourcing ideas. And, Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Things have opened up. And again, technology has allowed that. The internet, uh, cloud, APIs, the, the spirit of partnering now, joint venturing, affiliates, uh, you know, working together is, is completely normal and natural in most companies. Um, so one always has to be protective, um, but you know, there's no doubt that there's, there's you know, huge amounts of partnering. And you know, one of the guys that I, I read quite a lot about in, 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 in who promoted joint venturing was Jay Abraham. So Jay Abraham is you know marketing mm-hmm. guru and he, he talks a huge amount uh, about how early stage growth companies, tech companies, and small companies can really create those breakthroughs through partnering. Um, and I think now more than ever, where established companies are under threat. I mean, they are really under threat now in many, many industries. They they need to partner. I mean, they they have to. I don't I don't see how any company today can do everything in house. In the old days, we had Ma Bell, and you might remember the the Bell Labs. Um, mm. And so many of the larger companies did most of their R&D in-house or they did it with universities. And that still exists. But the amount of, of, of partnering on ideas today is it's just everywhere. So you, you have to do it. I think you just, you just have to do it. The more, the better. So your book, Go Tech or Go Extinct, which, of course, you can walk into Borders Bookstore and buy it, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, where, Don't do that. Yeah. So tell me, about, tell me just a bit about the book. Uh, well, the book uh, was inspired by, frankly, Walmart's acquisition of Jet.com in August 2016. I mean, I literally did fall off my chair. I could not believe it. I mean, we we had a client where that that had Walmart as its largest customer or channel to markets. So we knew quite a bit about it. Very conservative company, totally bricks and mortar. They had tried kicking off Walmart.com, failed. Uh, I, I don't know how much they spent, how many hundreds of millions, but um, the Jet deal was was big for them, 3 billion cash, 13 times the revenue multiple compared to Walmart's own revenue multiple, which would have been 0.3, 0.4 at the time. Mm-hmm. Just astounding to me. And so that began the journey of, wow, maybe we finally have reached the point where these large non-tech companies that we've been trying to take our tech deals to uh, are finally waking up. And so we spent three months researching it and we realized that this was actually starting across many different industries. And 
after about another six months of, of talking to some of the companies, I decided I got to write about this. I just have to write a book. And, uh, and as we were engaging in discussions through our marketing efforts and, and just being, you know, ourselves as, and myself as an entrepreneur, very aggressive in, in exploring this, I thought, well, the discussions that I'm having with C-suite executives at the Fortune 1000 companies are so interesting and, uh, and revealing in many ways that, that I thought I will add the context of those discussions to the book. And, uh, and the book really is meant to, to help educate, to help, you know, give some sense, uh, you know, to, to the average business person of what's really happening before our eyes. You know, it's, a, it, it's happening slowly enough that we don't realize it, but fast enough that, oh, my gosh, what, what just happened is also reality. And it, and it is truly exponential now, the change. And we're seeing more and more company failures, or at least companies are struggling uh, big established companies are struggling to go perhaps as fast as they used to. And many of the large established companies, frankly, in the last 10 years, we've had very low interest rates in the U.S. And in Europe, we've had zero and even negative interest rates. Institutional investors have been quite happy, for the most part, to keep their shares in a large company that's been flat, but paying dividends, and where the dividend yield has been higher than the yield they could get on bonds. And so that's propped up a lot of the established companies, I believe, over the last 10 years. And the result has been, to a large degree, complacency. I think a lot of the large corporates have fallen into the trap or because the board hasn't been overly you know, activist in, uh, in their influence on management because their shareholders, institutions, haven't been overly activist because they've been relatively happy with the, with the dividend yield. I, I think that's had an impact on management's, uh, as I call it, feeling paranoid, like Andy Grove. Uh, was all about, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you must be paranoid, even if you're by far the number one leader. Kodak should have been paranoid. Intel was. And, mm-hmm. you know, Andy Grove took the Intel market cap from, I don't know, a few billion to 200 billion by being paranoid. <laughs> so I think that's really important. I think it's really, really important that any leaders, any company, large companies that are leading have to be paranoid today about their own position because nothing is safe. Nothing is safe in any industry. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So the book, again, Go Tech yeah. or Go Extinct, Paul Quattrocasis, uh, Living with American Accent in London, the original <laughs> accent. <laughs> uh, and your website, again, uh, is, um, well, there's Aqua Partners, and then, of course, uh, specific to the book, uh, yeah. good luck in spelling this, but Paul Quattrocasis. <laughs> yeah, my my recommendation is go to aquapartners.com. Yeah. And again, that's Aqua, A-Q-U-A-A, Partners. Dot com and uh, or you could just search for the book on Amazon Go Tech or Go Extinct. Uh, Paul, thank you so much. Any other things that we missed? Uh, how much time do you have? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough for uh, five other shows. That's yeah, that's what we missed. Sure. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> well, great. I really yeah. Thank you it. so much for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now, if you've got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. Now, if you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence each month. We scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform 
and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. Now, what do you win? Well, we're going to promote you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Now, can you also hook us up? Now, in your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Now, my name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Now, thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.